2: Welcome
3: to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. A program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart, all you need to do is to provide the phone call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, it's Tuesday. We don't have anything going on, so we will get right to questions. Our first question comes from uh, Dewey. Uh, he says, "Hi, Pastor On. In First Chronicles twenty-one, I read how Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. According to the Scripture, God did not want King David to do this, but to totally rely on Him and not the numbers. I saw how Joab tried to reason with David that this excuse me that this action is against the Lord's command. However, Joab obeyed his king with great distress." King David obeyed God and did it anyway, which caused God to be displeased with the census and punished Israel for it. Why does God let our own personal sins have such profound consequences in the lives of other people, and especially those we love? Could you elaborate more on this scripture? I'd just like to know what your thoughts are. Dewey, this is a great question from, from a lot of perspectives. You know, we have a tendency in the world that we live in. Uh, to, to, to sin, you know, we're so independent of of other people. We don't need anything. What I do doesn't bother anybody else or doesn't affect anybody else. When we sin, do we? There are consequences, and those consequences get played out in the lives of others. You know, I tell Paul all the time, you know, when we're struggling with something, somebody's not doing the right. The one thing we don't have the right to do is mess with other people's lives. And when we make selfish decisions, when we make ego decisions, driven decisions or insecurity driven decisions or fear driven decisions, when we let those decisions um, change what we do, um, then there's going to be people hurt. And especially in the, the, the place of a king, King David, um, th- that Jesus is principled, whom much is given, much more is required. Uh, David understood that the people needed a shepherd after God's own heart. David understood that people were watching him. And David understood from previous experiences, his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. David understood that other people are affected by his sin. And in this particular case, uh, this this seems to be the sin that God considered the worst of all. David, after a lifetime of trusting God, suddenly didn't. David's ego got out of control, and he decided one day to count the troops of israel the fighting troops of israel and the reality was that um, um, he was saying uh, i want to see how strong i am and of course god won't share his glory with anyone and so the point is david wasn't strong except through his relationship with the lord it's kind of like samson you know samson was very very strong but he was only strong when he was in covenant with god um That sad line in Samson's story uh, the spirit departed and Samson knew it not Uh, well in this particular case David touched God's glory and the people would be affected now let's bring this a little closer to home a husband gets on the internet and looks at filthy stuff his family is going to suffer the consequences, his marriage and by extension his children Um, a husband or wife cheats on their spouse and other people are going to be affected. I once Dewey, had a woman in the church uh, who came to me and said, you know, I love my husband, but I'm not in love with him anymore. And my first question to her was, okay, who are you talking to? There's somebody else. No, there's nobody else. There's always somebody else. So, well, well, I can't help it. I'm in love with him. He gets me, understands me. And here's what she told me. She said, I'm going to leave my family for him. And I looked at her, I said, two things. How can you do this and sin against God? And how can you do this knowing that your children's lives are going to be affected? She got really defensive. She said, Pastor Ron, I, I, you know I love my kids. I would die for my kids. And I said, he's not asking you to die for your kids now. He's asking you to live for your kids. He's asking you to stay with your husband, to love him, to repent of your sin. And And are you willing to do that for your children? And she wasn't. There are consequences, and one of the things, Dewey, that I really try to communicate to our church here at Calvary Chapel is that everything we do affects somebody else. Now, let's bring it a little bit um, more to the time that we live in, in our nation. We don't have kings, but we've got a president. You go back to 2015, and uh, legislation was passed to, to uh, um, legalize gay marriage. A nation approved a vile sin against God. And that was leaders who did it a president, senators, House of Representatives, congressmen, then finally a the Supreme Court. And you see what's happened since that time. The numbers of people, the sheer numbers of people who are now comfortable in their sin and parading their sin publicly, young men and women who are confused and say, well, this is a good thing now and I can get attention, you can see how homosexuality has increased exponentially. We see now the same dynamic at work with this transgender craziness We say it's okay. Anything the government says is okay, it increases in practice and acceptance. I can go back to 1973. The government said it was okay to kill children in the womb. And the result is 65 million unborn children who were murdered. There are consequences. That, by the way, is genocide. That's that's a holocaust against kids. And nobody says anything about it. That's why God was so angry. That's why this was uh, David's worst sin. Now, to his credit, David, as soon as he was confronted by the angel of the Lord, he repented. He was given the choice of three um, punishments. He chose the one that depended on God's mercy. He knew that God would be merciful. And mercifully, the plague was stopped. But please don't ever, ever forget that the choices we make to sin against God cause a lot of pain. My final thought on this, Dewey, and Dewey, since I know you, you know a little bit about uh, my story. Um, The choices I made um, devastated my family. And I would have protested against that. I would have said the whole time, what I do doesn't affect them. It's just my own personal choice. Uh, devastated my family. I almost turned Paula into an alcoholic. She started drinking just, just to get to the place where she could she could be able to handle me coming home. And um, there are consequences that we have to bear. Um, you said Joab obeyed his king with great distress. He only partially obeyed. Joab left a whole bunch of people out of that census, but nonetheless. It it was a horrible, horrible sin with with devastating consequences. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from our mobile app. This one is from Destin. Um, how can I get your message on legalism? I heard your radio teaching show yesterday morning. It played at nine thirty p.m. Destin, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, all you have to do is call the church office six five two two one zero six five eight. Eight three three seven. Tell them you heard this message. It was on yesterday's radio program, Um, and uh, it's on. It's on different stations, uh, but but we we are running the same message. So um, they will get it out to you, no cost. Um, They'll get it out as quickly as uh, as we can. Uh, If you don't even want to wait for it, they'll tell you how to um, um, go to our website and find that teaching. As well, and you can just uh, listen to it online. But uh, appreciate you reading it. Um, I actually heard that message. I wasn't able to sleep. Sometimes I, our radio program comes on at five o'clock on one station, and five thirty on another station in the morning, and it comes on at six o'clock on one station in the evening, and nine thirty in the evening on another station. Same message, and uh, I was listening to that message myself. And I don't typically listen to me. Um, on the radio, but uh, Destin, that's, that's how you can get it. Good, good. uh, Thank you for, for listening. Here is a question from Anonymous from our mobile app. How are the consequences different for a sin that's repented of and the same sin that you've repented from? Can you give an example? Wow, that's a great question. I haven't thought about that often. Anonymous, there are no differences in the consequences. Um, I think that the, the the obvious advantage is that once you have sinned against God and the consequences come to bear, uh, I think at that point, um, then you can go through those consequences with the Lord uh, and, and you can bring anybody who else might be affected by those consequences. You can sort of bring them into that circle and ask for God's protection through prayer. But I think a lot of times uh, the consequences are the same. Um, um, it's, it's not like, okay, God, I'm really sorry. And he takes away the consequences or even that he softens the consequences. I think there are lessons that desperately need to be learned. And if uh, there were no consequences or if the consequences were less severe, uh, because I know our human nature, Anonymous, um, uh, we wouldn't learn it. We wouldn't learn the lesson that God wants us to learn. So the consequences will often be the same. But the difference between going through those consequences alone or going through them with Jesus full of the Holy Spirit there, there's an enormous difference between that. so I hope that makes sense to you I, I wish I can give you an example of of, of um, a consequence from from our Texas history here uh, not too long after Paul and I got to Texas there was a uh, a woman who was sentenced to death row. her name was Carla Faye Tucker and she was sentenced to death row she um, uh she was guilty she admitted that she was guilty uh and you know you're on death row for 20 years and and in that period of time she became a born again believer and everybody wanted her to get off i mean everybody i mean the, the guards the prison officials um, uh, everybody wanted wanted a commutation of her sentence and, and she, she said, no, uh, I, I'm guilty. Whatever the consequences are, I'm ready to meet Jesus. And uh, she was put to death. Now, a lot of Christians at that point thought, well, why wouldn't God give her a break? Consequences have to be there and have to come. And uh, she paid for it with her life. At the same time, the moment she left that body, she was in the presence of the Lord. It was just a, a magnificent uh, conversion. So that that's just one example, I think, of many. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Cindy from San Antonio Online 1. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Hi. I, I, I was reading in Psalm 139 and and on verse 8 i've got two different translations i've got the niv the 84 and i've also got a gideon's one of these old gideon um new testament psalms um bibles now i read the um niv first if i go up to the heavens you are there if i make my bed in the depths you are there now it says in the Gideon if I ascend to heaven you are there if I make my bed in sheol s h e o l you are there. Now what I'm curious about is the is the term if I make my bed. My mom used to always say and I, and it just I cringed when she did this to me. Well you made your bed now you'll have to sleep in it. Because to <laughs> me, you know, yeah. Your your, did. your
3: your mom knew my dad, Cindy.
2: <laughs> well, I hated it when she did that, because I always thought that, well, so what? You made a mistake, you can change. It doesn't mean you have to stay in that bed and sleep in it. And uh, anyways, where my question is going is, if a believer continues to do something that they know is wrong, is that considered making your bed in in, in Sheol and but then it also says that that God is there. So so God is there, waiting for somebody to stop doing what they're doing that is so wrong. Does that tie in? Does this, is this making any sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, and, it is. In, in fact, Cindy, you you understand it correctly. That the the idea of if I make my bed, it's it's a, a circumstance of of, of permanence. Uh, if if I choose to um, um, do the wrong thing, Lord. Um, if I choose to live like hell, and that's exactly what he's saying there, um, then he's going to be there as well. In other words, there's no escaping. Now, I think this this is such a wonderful song, uh, a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And so you've got to you've got to understand um, David's heart here. Um, he says, "I'm going to go back a few verses before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before." You've laid your hand upon me. I love that God uh, hymns me in, that he goes before us, but he's also behind us protecting our rear guard. Uh, and then he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Or to attain, rather. And then he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Verse 9 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So this is a statement of security and assurance. That's what he's saying. He's saying, there's nowhere I can go from you. And the, the good part about making my bed in the depths, if I'm going to, conversely, you know, if I go to heaven, you're there. Obviously, we walk in the Spirit and we reap from the Spirit. But if we walk in the flesh, we reap from the flesh. And he's saying, even then, God is there. And all we have to do is turn around. That's what repentance is. All we have to do is turn around. And when we do that, he's right there. And we have that instant forgiveness, Cindy, uh, of our sins and, and the instant restoration of our fellowship with the Lord, full and complete access. Uh, So God follows us. He follows us uh, when we're walking with him. He follows us when we're not. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, when we are faithless, you, God, are faithful. And that's the same kind of idea here. So this is uh, one of those magnificent psalms. Um, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Uh, The idea there is even though I feel like I'm far from you, Lord, you're right there because you know everything. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And Cindy, that's the idea here. So um, even when we choose to walk away from the Lord, he's right there. That's why repentance and First uh, 1 John 1, nine says if we confess our sins, that is to agree with God about sin, um, he's faithful just to forgive us and to purify us. And that in the Greek is in the continuous present tense, meaning he's always right there and it's a continuous action and we're purified. It's a verb, we're purified from all unrighteousness and God is right there. I think the point is it makes no sense to walk away from him. It makes no sense to try to hide from him. He's everywhere. And that's why that psalm is so encouraging. Wonderful question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's another anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, when Christians say they are saved, what exactly are they saved from? Now, I'm going to assume, anonymously, you're not a born-again believer. Um, We who are Christians say we're saved. It's, It's literally, we've been rescued from two things. We've been rescued from sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, Paul writes. But we've also been rescued from the punishment of sin. And that's really important. You know, one of the things that, that um, um, is, is difficult for me in dealing with people is that there's just too many of us that don't think we need to be rescued. You know, we tell somebody, hey, you're a sinner. We read the Bible. There's nothing good in my flesh, um, um, nothing at all. Um, we think, no, I'm a good person. No, we're not. And a lot of times, those people don't really believe they need to be saved. Um, A lot of us want to be saved from hell, but we don't want to be saved from sin. And the reality is that we don't think what we're doing is all that bad, and usually that's because we're comparing uh, ourselves with other people who are in worse shape than we are. But that's why you have to remember, God rescued us from a death sentence. February of 1991, I was given life. I was on my way to hell. And God rescued me. And not only took me to heaven, that's in the future, but he also gave me a new life here on earth. And so I'm, I'm rescued from my past. I'm rescued from condemnation. I'm rescued from the pain that I caused other people. Um, but most importantly, I'm rescued from sin I, I I don't live a perfect life. But when I sin, God is right there to forgive me. And I'm rescued from the power of sin. And then I'm rescued from the consequences of sin. I won't go to hell as I deserved. And Anonymous, let me finish by saying this. The first thing, nobody meets Jesus. They hear about him. Sometimes they have an emotional experience. But nobody really meets Jesus unless they realize first that they need to be saved, that they are lost. Like the blind uh, men healed by Jesus. Once I was blind, now I see. Uh, he knew what his condition was. He knew that he'd been rescued. Every born-again Christian ought to be able to say, you know, the things that I used to do, I no longer do. Paul, in writing to the churches in Thessalonica, he says, he says you know, you were idolaters. Uh, described the people. described idolatry and all of the, the wickedness and sin in the world. And then he says this, and such were some of you. But now. And I love the but nows of God. So, but now you're saved. You're washed. You're cleansed. So, that's what we're saved from. And Anonymous, I would um If you haven't given your heart to Jesus Christ, that's the very first step. You can't think you're okay. You can't believe you're a good person. You gotta realize that apart from Christ, there is absolutely nothing whatsoever that's good in your flesh. Here is a question, try to get it before the break. Um, Jake says, why does God permit the evil reigns of people like Hitler or Putin linen. If God establishes all authority, it seems like he would make good leaders. Yeah, God establishes the concept of authority, the offices that carry authority. But the people who man those offices, don't blame them on God. Um, You know, if if you expect that God is going to stop uh, evil people in this world, uh, then you're going to be disappointed because that's not at all god's responsibility and i've said this many times on this program uh, but it's more germane now than ever it seems like we get the kind of leadership that we deserve and when we look at the leadership in this nation right now we know we're in trouble we don't deserve any better than that so don't blame god for the evil reigns of evil people um, God established the positions of authority, but he did that so that they would represent him. He did that so that the, the the people would be better off. He did that so that there would be order in this world. And from the beginning of time, uh, Samuel warned Israel against this before they, they wanted King Saul. Uh, he said, look, he's going to take your children. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your property. Um, he's going to do all these things. And they still said, you know, we know you're right, but we still want a king. And so God gave the people then what he wanted. So um, evil isn't anything new. And that evil has been around for a very, very, very long time. So, Jake, don't blame God for the bad things that people do. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the program 3409585. Or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Remember, we would love your phone calls. Here is a question that was sent in by Nancy. Uh, Were the disciples, apostles, able to live without sin for the rest of their lives? No, 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 not at all, Nancy. We all continue to sin. In fact, the Apostle John deals with that very issue in 1 John when he says, if anybody says that he is without sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. So no, not at all, any more than you or I, Nancy, could live uh, even a day without sin, so, no, they weren't at all able to live without sin. The idea that there's any possibility that any human being could live without sin, uh, that is uh, heresy, it is a lie from the devil. But you know what? It's it's a pretty popular heresy. <laughs> uh, I, I get more and more questions about it, more and more people wondering, um, well, well, why can't I be perfect? Well, just try it. I mean, intentionally try it. You can't do it. So we know that uh, Paul, for example, had a falling out with Barnabas. Now, I'm not suggesting that it was caused by sin, but different point of views. Um, uh, Peter uh, had to have Paul uh, approach him and and confront him to his face about some doctrinal issues that, that Peter was falling down on. So while we might not have a bunch of their sins listed, rest assured that the man who is supposed to be the closest to God is still a sinner. And that's why he needed to be rescued, uh, because there was only one man who lived without sin. And, of course, his name was Jesus Christ, and he happened to be God as well. So note, Nancy, they weren't able to live without sin. Jesse says... I have a friend who has a Bible written in Aramaic. He says it's the only authoritative Bible because Jesus spoke Aramaic. Aramaic. Um, Jesse, the Bible was written with no mistakes. It was inerrant, infallible. Um, And and it's the manuscripts that are perfect. And the original languages of the manuscript had nothing whatsoever to do with Aramaic. You know what? I know it sounds so spiritual to say, well, I've got a Bible that that, that uses the same language that Jesus spoke. And by the way, he didn't speak Aramaic. Um, Aramaic was one of the languages. But we would today say that he spoke a Palestinian language, sort of a hybrid combination in his day-to-day conversation. But, but remember, it is the manuscripts. Old Testament, they were written in Hebrew. There are parts of it that are written in Aramaic. Um, not many, but, but there are a few chapters that are written in Aramaic. Um, but uh, it's the, the original manuscripts that are inspired. And so when somebody says, well, Jesus spoke Aramaic, um, that person is demonstrating their uh, immaturity. And their lack of understanding about where the Bible came from, how it was written, how it was compiled, and those kind of things. So please don't listen to him. It sounds so spiritual and so reasonable. And by the way, Jesse, it's the same thing as somebody who says, a Gentile, who says, Well, well, you know, you can't be a good Christian until you're first a good Jew. And people will say, Oh, that's so profound. And they'll nod their heads. That's simply untrue. It's just not true. So the Bible was written in Greek in the New Testament, and almost all of it was written in the Old Testament in Hebrew. So, hope that makes sense, Jesse. Thank you very, very much. Donald says, pastors are supposed to be above reproach. Why are there so many who keep falling into terrible types of sin? Um, You know, Donald, I can answer that question by saying, uh, and I'll make this very personal, uh, my flesh stinks. I've been a pastor for 27 and a half years. My flesh stinks. Really stinks. It's no better than it was the day before I got saved. So when pastors fall into terrible sin, it's because they're living in the flesh. They're walking in the flesh. And anytime we get some distance between us and the Lord, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what kind of a gifted communicator you are. Uh, you're going to fall into sin. It's that simple. In order to to walk in a way that glorifies Jesus. You know, Paul speaks often in his epistles about growing in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of God's will for our lives. He talks about living worthy lives or or living a life worthy of the name Christ or worthy of our calling. Um, and And if we don't live... A worthy life, and and again, no worthiness of our own. It's a borrowed righteousness from Christ. But that just means we walk with the Lord, and it doesn't matter who this pastor might be. And I've I've had friends, uh, many many more uh, colleagues uh, in the Calvary Chapel movement, um, um, many many more uh, who have uh, sacrificed their families and their churches, their ministry callings. Uh, Because they fell into sin. Um, And yeah, you're right. We're supposed to live lives above reproach. Uh, The reality is we don't. Husbands are supposed to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. The reality is they don't. We're selfish jerks. Wives are supposed to submit to the leadership of their husbands. But they don't. We're supposed to be men and women who walk, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But we don't. So, Donald, don't put a pastor on a pedestal. You know, the longer somebody knows me, and I've only been around here a little over 27 years, but I promise you I've disappointed people a lot. I've disappointed them a lot. And the longer you're around me or the closer you get to me, the more of my flaws and weakness you're going to see. And yet, God knows all about those flaws. He knows all about those weaknesses. And as long as I stay close to Jesus, I'm going to be just fine. But it has to be by His power. I want to repeat something I said, because repetition matters. If I get just a little bit of distance between me and Jesus, the enemy is going to be right there, and my flesh only too willing to comply And I'm going to put at risk everything that I've worked so hard by the power of God's Spirit to bring honor and glory to Him. I'm going to risk it all. That's why it's especially tragic to me as as men get older. Um, It's it's especially tragic um, that the choices they make bring shame to lives that for the most part were well lived well-intended let me also say this donald uh pastors not me thankfully um but but pastors um often um are the objects of idol worship uh, you know nobody would say i worship my pastor but but you know you get these guys in these huge churches and they become like rock stars and their their egos get inflated and there's a whole bunch of people in the church that keep padding those egos and and then we're setting ourselves up for a fall. And the enemy, as I said a moment ago, is always going to be there um, when that happens. So what we do is we've got to stay humble. We've got to be real. Uh, we've got to be forthcoming. Um, we, we can't live duplicitous lives. Um, we've got to be sort of an open book for the people in our body. That's what keeps us humble. I was asked not too long ago on this program, Donald, how I stay humble and the answer is so simple if you stay with Jesus if you're close to him humility is the only response I actually realize that there's nothing I do that I can do on my own apart from Christ and so when somebody comes up and says well that's a wonderful message or "Or, or boy Pastor Lord has used you to change my life and people say those things all the time boy God really used you Um, In your flesh, that becomes very seductive. But in the spirit, you realize that you had nothing whatsoever to do with that. So you just nod your head and you say, thank you. And then you say, praise the Lord. So, Gronel, thank you for the question. Um, You're right about one thing, that the numbers of pastors that are falling now um, are epidemic. Um, a a, a terrible, terrible, terrible blight upon the church. And now we've, of course, we talked about consequences in the first half of the program. Now with the world that we live in with the Internet, um, nobody gets away with anything. And the sins of these men uh, are plastered all over the Internet. And we've got um, um, certain people who feel they're not, but they feel like they're called by God to be justice watchdogs. Um, and they're going to continue to blab the, the um, sins of the pastors all over the internet and they're going to in their own self-righteous going to be think they're doing good you know I keep thinking about um, Noah's sons um, Shem and Japheth walking in backwards to cover his nakedness um, we get discovered our sin will find us out We deserve the exposure, but the people that delight in exposing it, um, they're the spiritual descendants of Ham. Good question. Here's a question from Natalie Love is the greatest gift of all. So why is it wrong to love someone of the same sex? I want my gay friends to be happy. Natalie, um, you're probably not a believer. Uh, I don't know you, so uh, um, I can't judge your heart, but I can tell you that that 99 times out of 100, somebody who, who um, has a reaction like this doesn't really know Jesus at all. They've not been born again, because if you're born again, you have to agree with Jesus. You want to know why it's wrong to love someone the same sex? Because God said so, period. That you would say you want your gay friends to be happy. You want them to go to hell happy? And even the question, the way you phrased it, Natalie, it doesn't sound at all. I mean, not, not at all. Um, like you believe that your gay friends are going to go to hell. Apart from being born again, everybody's going to go to hell. And our job is to deliver a message because we love people to deliver a message that this is the consequence of the choices that you're making. And and what they have is not love. What they have is a perversion of love. And they don't love God. And that's a requirement of being born again. So, Natalie, every gay person who, and, and there are gay people who claim to be Christians. It doesn't matter what church they were raised in. It doesn't matter if they were baptized if they're living a life, Galatians, 6, or Galatians 5 and uh, 1 Corinthians 6 both say that people live, who live lives like this, this is a willful lifestyle choice, uh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. How can you call somebody your friend when you won't tell them the truth about their future in eternity? The only, the only answer to that question is that you don't really believe that what the Bible says is true. And that's why, Natalie, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Love truly is the greatest gift of all. That's why God gave his son, for your life and for mine. So, Natalie, what you need to do is open your Bible and open your heart and let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let him talk to you about your sins. Forget your gay friends. This is about you and Jesus. What are you going to do with this man, Jesus? I hope you take this seriously because you and your friends are in danger for eternity, Natalie. Next question, 340 We still got a little bit of time for some questions if anybody wants to call. Here's a question from Precious, not my Precious. That's God's name for Paula. But this precious she's written in before and called in once, I think. Um, She says, did Martin Luther go to heaven even though he hated Jews? Um, I'm presuming he did. Um, I mean, certainly he was a believer. Certainly he was used by God uh, in his reformation. Um, but you're right, Precious, he hated Jews. I mean, he hated Jews. He hated Catholics, too, uh, at the end. But he hated wow. Jews. And, um, um, you know, uh, it, it's hard for me to understand how born-again people filled with the Spirit of God um, can be prejudiced like that. So we'll find out when we go to heaven. I know a, a lot of people are saying, of course he went to heaven. He was the one who, who started the Reformation. Um wow. You know, there's a lot of people that started well and didn't finish at all. So um, my assumption is that he's going to be there and he's going to be deeply, deeply, deeply ashamed of his prejudice. Um, And he's going to lose a lot of rewards because of that prejudice. If you say you love God, but don't love people, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. That's what John says. John, I love 1st John because he's so direct. At his age, he's right and He's not worried about being politically correct or socially correct. He just, this is the way it is. Martin Luther hated Jews. He blamed them for the death of Jesus. It's amazing that somebody could have such a great understanding of the just shall live by faith and not truly understand that he was every bit as responsible as Jews and as the Romans were who physically put Jesus to death. Um, That that Martin Luther, for his sins, he was as responsible for Jesus' death as anyone else. So that's important. Precious, your question gives me a chance just for a couple of moments to talk about um, hatred and prejudice. One of the things, and we humans, you know, we sort of roll with the culture. We roll with the, the, the way we've been brought up. Um. You cannot be prejudiced and be a Christian. You just can't. If you are, it's sin. It's a sin against God. And at the very best, you are a believer, but your relationship with God is completely broken. You can't pray. You can't get answers to your prayers. You can't walk in the will of God if you're prejudiced. It's that simple. So... Everybody in this audience, if you've got prejudices against different people groups, shame, shame, shame on you. And we need to remember that because there is absolutely no excuse whatsoever. You know, when I met Paula um, and I told my mom and dad that uh, this is the one. Um, My dad disowned me. Um, I was always my dad's favorite, but when I brought home a black girl. Um, that was the end of it. And he told me, he said, uh, Ronnie, nothing I can do about it. I'm too old to change. It's the way I've always been. I'm too old to change now. And my grandmother, bless her heart, who is in heaven and who prayed for me and uh, so much. My grandma's the only time I ever heard her swear, and I'm not going to use the word here on the air, but but. um she, she was right there in the house. My dad was getting angry, and, and she was there. And when he said that, I'm too old to change. She said, Roger, that was my dad's name. I'm a lot older than you. And if Ronnie loves her, I'm going to love her. And my grandmother loved Paula until she went to be with Jesus. We've got to get over this thinking about people in terms of color. God looks at saved and unsaved, period. So we can't be responsible. Or we have to be responsible, rather. Here's a question just called in by Thomas to the studio producer. What's the real cause of prejudice and racism? Sin nature. Thomas, we esteem ourselves better than others. We have an inflated view of our own value, our own worth. We're blind to our own sin. And because we have that sin nature, um, we have a fear of other people. We're uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. There's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of reasons. But the reality is, is um, people who aren't saved are bridges. It's built in. It's always been that way from the very beginning of time. Started with Cain and Abel, with Cain's murder of Abel, and then as people spread out, uh, one group hung with their people and dissed the other people, and uh, these rivalries came. But but believe me, it's sin. Uh, it's an enemy. It's uh, our our own sense of pride. Um, Racism is simple. It's the ugliness, a lack of love, and there's no other way to describe it, Thomas. That's the real cause, sin in this world, division. The enemy is a divider, the accuser of the brethren. And so our response as believers is is simply to love the people for whom our Jesus died. So, Thomas, that's the best answer that I can, I can give you for that you know we uh, unfortunately the church's history is stained by racism um, you know all kinds of unspeakable things were done by uh, people who said they were Christians um, when, when this country was dealing with slavery uh, in the aftermath of slavery in and, 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 and my lifetime growing up you know when uh, um, the civil rights movement was going on and Martin Luther King was being used by God I'm an imperfect man, by the way, but being used by God to bring attention to to uh, this kind of hatred and racism. Um, and um, people many times staked their cases on the Bible says this. I've even been told, Thomas, that I wasn't fit to preach the gospel uh, because I have a, a mixed marriage and God is against mixed marriages. Not at all understanding Uh, What God meant, or even caring, but people who claim to be Christians have been responsible for all kinds of horrendous, hateful, murderous acts from the beginning of the world all the way to now, and we still have churches that are completely segregated in this country. Um, You know, the only there's only one reason for having a church that is segregated, and that's the language or communication. That's, that's the only, only acceptable reason. If you go to an all-white church or an all-black church or an all-Mexican church or an all-Asian uh, church, uh, only if it's a language situation does that make any sense at all. And here's what I know for sure. If we teach the Bible, we open it, we teach it, God brings people. We don't bring them. We don't set out to grow our church. God brings people. And uh, Thomas, if you would, and I don't know if you're a Thomas who comes here or uh, just a radio uh, listener who's not been here, but if you would come to our church, the diversity in these uh, services that we have is absolutely amazing. And I'm talking about uh, not only racial, racial, but ethnic, um, um, age, um, socioeconomic status. The diversity is astounding. in in our church, and we haven't done one thing, not one thing to appeal to any people groups to get them to come. Oh, we need more blacks, or we need more Hispanics, or we need more Asians. We haven't done that. We just unlock the doors and teach the Bible, and God brings people because He knows that He can trust us with them. That's what church ought to look like, and God will do that work. It's just unfortunate. A lot of times, Uh, We won't let him do that kind of work. Okay, i got time maybe for one more question. uh, I got to Precious. This this is Mallory. Um, What is your opinion about contemporary Christian music for worship? Um, Mallory, I'm not a music person. Um, I'll be honest with you. Listening to music in the background drives me crazy. Um, Literally, it it makes me angry. Um, I'm just not a music person. Um, when I come to church and people filled with the Spirit of God are worshiping, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I don't care if they're singing hymns or contemporary Christian music. If their hearts are right with God and the Spirit is leading, the worship is just magnificent. I have had a hard time in the last three weeks. Now, now this happens to me frequently, but, but especially in the last three weeks, um, the, the the songs that they've been singing have really hit me hard here at our church. And and part of it is I I know those people on the worship team, and I I know what they've been through, and I know their hearts for the Lord. And it's a staggering, staggering thing when the Spirit of God is flowing through worship. So um, that's my opinion. It's fine in church. I don't like music, so it has nothing to do with the music. Now, we've got a great quality of worship here at our church, and I'm grateful to God for that. But... Uh, it's not like I, I hear the song and say, oh, i got to find that on, on YouTube. We're going to find that on my radio, um, because I'm not concerned about that. So music, all, as long as it's spirit-led and the and the worshipers are spirit-filled, the, the church body is going to participate in that worship. Hey, thank you, Mallory. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand them For Life. Um, I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.